Becoming a more compassionate person today on Abounding Grace. We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, doing things for ourselves, that compassion, our compassion for others, can get a back seat in life or begin to run dry. Maybe it's not so much just thinking of ourselves, but because we're serving and helping so many people, you, you may even find that you want a day off from compassion or two or three. We're surrounded by needs. We have needs ourselves, But the key in life is compassion. The key, one of the keys in growing as a disciple of Jesus is to have a compassionate heart. This is amazing grace. Thousands of hungry people and just five loaves and two fish. The disciples of Christ saw this as a problem, but Jesus had the provision and was more than able to meet the need. And friend, he can meet your needs too. Welcome to Abounding Grace. Today, Pastor Ed Taylor points out why God allows us to be tested and how we can pass these tests of life. We're in John chapter 6. Take your Bible, open them to a couple places. John chapter 6. We're beginning a new chapter today. And 1 Corinthians chapter 8 is it'll help to weave together in our introduction to this section of John 6. We're studying the book of John together in our weekend services, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We're not going too fast or too slow. We have no really motives of how fast to go. We just want to walk alongside Jesus. We want to put ourselves next to him. We want to learn from him. We want to draw near. We, we want him to disciple us. We want him to teach and train us. Because the Bible says, Jesus said, that a student, when he's perfectly trained, will be like his master. And that's our desire in life. We don't want to conform to an image of a church. And we don't want to conform to an image of a pastor. And we don't want to conform to an image of what somebody wants from us. We want, and the work of God, is that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus. And so our time in, in John's gospel has been doing that, has been growing us, has been helping us to gain insight on how to respond to different things in our lives. And today will be no different. Now, when I mention the word test, not everybody's so excited because not everybody likes tests. That might be you. Uh, for me personally, I've always liked tests. I'm the kind of guy that could study the night before, ace the test the next day, and actually remember stuff. That God just made it in my mind where I can grab things, and, and he has helped me to remember things in that way. But not everybody. I mean, if I took a poll right now, how many of you like tests? Very few hands would go up. It says, who likes tests? There's actually, there's actually a phenomenon that they have found when it comes to tests. Because you might be one of these people that will study and study and study and study. And you do little pop quizzes along the way. You, do, you, you go online and you're taking little quizzes. But then when the test is laid before you, you bomb it. And you're like, what happened? Well, they call this test anxiety. 
where it's just the test itself and the pressure that you feel in the test, where you forget what you studied and all the little helps that your teacher helped you with, and there you are, you're ready, you're ready, you're ready, and when they put the test on you, even though you knew it was coming. But how about, well, how about when the teacher doesn't give you a test that you know about, but your teacher, she drops on you a pop quiz? How about that? Why do they do that? A pop quiz. I'll tell you why they do that. They want to know if you've been paying attention. They want to know if you've been taking notes. Your teacher wants to know if you've been grasping the concepts. And really a pop quiz is more for you than it is for the teacher. It's more for you to gain insight of where you're at because the test is coming. And while the pop quiz has a certain amount on your grade level, the test has a much greater amount. And so it's a tool and it's a plan of preparation. Now, let me just say this. God gives pop quizzes too, along with the tests, as we'll see today. Yeah, God gives us pop quizzes too. Our gracious God tests us to see if we're learning, to really reveal to us the level of attention we've been paying. Sometimes, church, we get so confident. We become the know-it-all that we never wanted to become. And we just think we know it all. We think we've got it all together. We're coasting along. And then comes the test. Now, again, I ask you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 8 just to be reminded today that we're not know-it-alls, that we don't know it all. And one of the ways that it gets revealed is through tests. But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. So if any of us think we know anything, we know nothing. We're all in a state of growing and learning. We're all in a state of gaining new knowledge, applying it in our lives. And one of the ways that God draws that out of us is through tests. Now we have another word for tests. We might refer to it as a test. We'll see that word in our text today. But we have another word when it comes to tests, and that's the word trials. Either way. God allows tests. God sends tests. God allows trials. God will send trials in our lives to mature and to grow us up. It reminded me really of the familiar story of how a little eaglet learns how to fly. Do you know that story? Do you know how that happens? Well, get the picture of a nest up high in a tree with this majestic eagle with her little babies. And her little babies are coasting along in life. I mean, they got it made. They're kicking back in the nest. They got 300 channels on cable. They're flipping it through. They don't have to go to work. Yeah, mom leaves sometimes, but she always comes back with food. All they need to do is cry. Every need is taken care of. And they're living life, man. They love it. It's everything they ever wanted it to be. Until one day, mom seems a little mad and knocks them out of the nest. And they fly. No, they don't fly. They fall and they fall and they fall. And their little wings are flapping and they don't know what they're doing. And I'm sure in their mind they're going, what's up with this? And it just lasts. At the last moment, what does mom do? Mom comes and swoops down, rescues them from certain danger, takes them back to the nest of comfort and ease until another surprise push. Because if an eaglet wants to learn how to fly, mom's not going to get out the whiteboard in the nest and say, this is the aerodynamics of flying, kids, and this is how you flap your wings, and if you just do this, and that's not how it happens. No, over and over, pushed out of the nest, pushed out of the nest, pushed out of the nest, until finally, 
that one final push where right at the end there's the flapping, there's the flapping, and then the eaglet takes flight and understands that mom wasn't upset at all. Mom was just using a very interesting way to teach her kids how to fly. And we feel that way with God at times, don't we? We feel that way. Why does the mother eagle kick her eaglets out of the nest? Well, you know what? If she never did, they might never leave the nest. They might never find a greater level of living. They may never embrace the beauty of flying if they didn't go through the test. You know, God, in his infinite wisdom, wants us to learn how to live by faith. He wants us to trust him. He wants us to learn in deeper levels how to depend upon him, how to live out what he's shown us, what he's taught us. Because, you know, when I get the picture of the eagle going out, and maybe you're like that right now. You're like, I'm in the process of flying, and I'm flapping, I'm flapping, but I'm waiting for God to rescue me. Well, this is the picture in my mind that I got. I just get the picture, I'm watching it all take place, and there's the eaglet down, and if I was going to put music to it, I'd do something like this. And you know what happens at the end of that, don't? Boom! But not so. That's not how it happens. That's not how it happens with the eagle, with Mama Eagle and her babies, and it's not happen, that's not what happens with you and I. There's no crash at the end, but a lot to learn in the process. Your God and mine is a rescuing God. He's a teaching God. He's a training God. And he wants us to grow up. Why does God allow Christians to be tested? Those that call upon his name? Why does he allow temptations in our lives? Well, let me read to you from James chapter 1 in the New Living Translation. You can just jot it down in verse 2. James writes, Dear brothers and sisters, whenever trouble comes your way, let it be an opportunity for joy. For when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And for when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be strong in character and ready for anything. And maybe that's you. Today you're going through some testing. Faced with great temptation in the midst of a trial or two. The Lord has allowed things into your life to move you out of the nest. You're learning how to trust God. You're learning how to trust God on your own. And it's a good thing. Although it can be a little scary. Now today in John chapter 6, we're going to get a beautiful, wonderful episode in the life of Jesus. A miraculous work of God. As thousands and thousands of hungry people follow Jesus with impure motives... Jesus, moved with love and compassion, decides to serve them food with the little that they had. He multiplies them. It's an amazing miracle. And along the way, he's going to also take this opportunity of blessing others to teach his disciples. And while he's teaching his disciples, he's teaching us. He's going to show us and remind us. This is something I teach the pastors here, the leaders here, something I'm always reminded of, I'm always reminding them of, and that's this. Every moment, every situation, no matter what it is, is a discipleship moment. It's a time for me to learn, or a time for me to teach, or a time for me to learn and teach. We'll find even in this miracle that nothing is wasted by God. Nothing. And every moment is a discipleship moment. I have something to learn. I have some area in my life that God wants to teach me, wants to grow me up, wants me to to be strong in. And I also need to be mindful that every situation, even in the context of the church here, I also have a responsibility as a spiritual leader to see the opportunity to teach you and to grow you and you and I can grow up in the things of God together. 
So while the focus of the first 14 verses is on this miraculous multiplication of food, don't miss, here and everywhere, don't miss Jesus taking the opportunity to teach his disciples and by way of teaching them, teaching us. Now, with that in mind, verse 1, chapter 6. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. Chapter 6 takes us back in the ministry of Jesus to the Galilee region, around the Sea of Galilee. There are actually three ways to refer to the Sea of Galilee, and you see two of them here. In verse 1, it says the Sea of Galilee. It's also referred to as the Sea of Tiberias. And you'll also find the Sea of Galilee referred to as the Sea of Gennesaret. Three ways to describe the same thing. So they're up in the northern part of Israel, around the beautiful area of the Sea of Galilee. And chapter 6 really encompasses about a year's worth, from beginning to end, about a year's worth of the ministry of Jesus up in the Galilee region. So he's back in the Galilee region, and a great multitude of people is following him. A lot of people. We also notice that a lot of people are following him with impure motives. They're not following him for the right reasons. They're intrigued. Jesus has done a miracle. He heals. And that has intrigued them and it's drawn them. Signs and wonders from the life of Jesus grabbed people's attention. They're following him, but with impure motives. Motives. It's the one thing that you can't see in a person's life. Motives. You can't, you can't see another person's motives. You don't know their heart. I mean, you're not going to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I know that you have impure motives. Now, that's at the outset. Because I think over time, impure motives can be revealed. Bad decisions and bad actions can start to un- unfold someone's impure motives. But I mean, you don't know the heart of somebody. You, you have a hard time knowing your heart sometimes. Where you don't even know your own motives. Where you might do the right thing, but you do it the wrong way. Why? Because you really desire to please God, but your, heart's, your motives are wrong. Or you do the wrong thing, but you had the right motives. Like you you wanted to do it right, but it just didn't turn out the way you thought it would turn out. We have a hard time knowing our own hearts, let alone someone else. And that's a biblical fact, friend. The Bible says this in our study in 1 Samuel, we've already seen this. That man looks at the outward, and it's true. Perception is very important. You have to realize this, especially again as you're serving the Lord, that perception for people is 100% of their reality. And God does, and people do look at you outwardly, and they do come to conclusions by what they see you do and say outwardly. That's just the facts. And the second part of that is just as true. While man looks at the outward, God does look at the heart. So you can be sure that God knows your motives, and he'll sort those motives out. But you don't want to be comfortable with bad motives. But you also don't want to be someone that's going out looking for everyone else's bad motives. Just really focus on your own life. That God would cleanse and purify your own heart. Let me give you a few things to pray about motives. Because these these are very important. We we want not only to do the right thing, but we want to do it for the right reasons. And so here's some things. If this is something you you struggle with in your life, something you're concerned about, your own motives. You know, the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked. You know, who can know it? And well, the Bible says God knows the heart. So you can go to God with the issues of the heart. Turn over to Psalm 24. Let me give you a few things to pray over on this topic of motives. Be ever so careful when you start to speak to other people's motives. You can speak to their actions, 
But you and I really don't know their heart. And we've got to leave the heart to the... The heart is the realm of God. Actions, you know, we can deal with actions. I mean, if you, if you punch me in the face, <laughs> I'm like, man, that's not very nice. What were you trying to love? Was that a love tap? You know, you knock a couple of teeth out. I mean, you can, you, you know, obviously it's not good to punch someone in the face, but, but you think of it, you know, you think of somebody coming alongside and pushing you very violently. And you go, what'd you do that for? You must not love me. You don't care. But what you didn't know is that there was a bicycle coming at like 35 miles an hour. And if they didn't push you out of the way, you would have had this accident with somebody in a bicycle. And you're like, man, I, I immediately you're like, how would you push me? But you don't know their motives. You don't know what's going on. You don't have the full picture. So you can pray this in your own life. Psalm 24, verse 3. It says, who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. There's four things you can pray for right there. You can begin to pray, God, clean my, let me me be a person with clean hands. I just have a clean conscience, the idea that my actions are pure, that my heart is pure, Lord. Purify my motives. You could pray number two. Thirdly, you can pray that you're not an idolatrous person. And not, not, not that you have little idols or statues, but that your heart is solely worshiping God, the one true God. And then finally, you can pray for a truthfulness, that you're not a deceitful person. I mean, that would be very helpful. Turn over to Psalm 51. Let me show you. Psalm 51, something else to pray when it comes to motives. How many arguments have been started in your life with other people when you thought you knew the motives of their heart and you were wrong and now it caused a great argument? You go, you know, you just did this because. And they're like, I didn't do that because. Yes, you did. And it became an argument because you're in a realm that you have no, you, you, have no, you don't know. You don't know. We have to be very careful even as we're just like, okay, Lord, I don't know other people's motives, but I just, just deal with my heart, Lord. Notice this in verse 10. Pray this. You can pray this very specifically. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Of course, we know David was praying in relationship to his repentance from great, terrible sin with Bathsheba and all the other things that went alongside of that. But I think it's a general prayer we can pray. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. That's what I want. I don't want anything else. Or you can jot this one down in Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 14. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? So Jesus goes over and back in John 6, back into the Galilee region. Many people are following. We know from Matthew's gospel. By the way, this miracle recorded in John's gospel is the only miracle that's recorded in all four gospels. So we have all the perspectives from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John for this particular miracle. We know from Matthew that this miracle comes right after Jesus hears of the death of his cousin, John the Baptist. Mark tells him he takes, tells him and he takes some time to be alone. According to Mark chapter 6 verse 31, he says, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while because there's many coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. Jesus, in verse 3, it says, went up on a mountain, and he sat there with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? So up on a mountain, and don't think of the mountain when we, the Bible uses that phrase mountain for Israel as the 14ers that we have in Colorado. It's only a couple thousand feet, three or 4,000 feet, but it is up high and there is a large slope. And we learn later here that it's covered with grass. So it's springtime. 
Which, by the way, when you carefully read the Bible, you see how things put together. Passover was a springtime feast. There's grass on the hill. Springtime's coming. So it's just a little piece of the timing of this happening in the life of Jesus. And here he is up on the top, kind of getting away. People are coming along the side of the mountain or the, the, the mountain for them coming up. He sees them and he sees them coming up. He draws attention from Philip and he just asks him a question. Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, Matthew tells us that during this dialogue that Jesus is moved with compassion. That's what's moving him to action is compassion. And I believe this, that God would have a compassionate heart in his people. Because we spend too much time, or so much time, I should say, thinking about, planning about, preparing for ourselves. We spend a lot of time thinking about ourselves, doing things for ourselves, that compassion, our compassion for others, can get a backseat in life or begin to run dry. Maybe it's not so much just thinking of ourselves, but because we're serving and helping so many people, you, you may even find that you want a day off from compassion or two or three. We're surrounded by needs. We have needs ourselves. But the key in life is compassion. The key, one of the keys in growing as a disciple of Jesus is to have a compassionate heart. Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace, and he's been covering John chapter 6 today in a message titled, Passing the Tests of Life. Hear it again at AboundingGraceRadio.com. And now, Pastor Ed, at the tail end of your message, you encourage us to be compassionate, just as God is to us. So can you think of some practical examples of this that our listeners can apply even today? You know, Larry, the world in which we live right now, I mean, it's always needed compassion and empathy and patience. But now, more than ever before, I find that patience, showing preference to one another, walking in humility, authenticity, you know, just being real people, living in Christ is the gateway into other people's lives and conversations. And, you know, compassion is not just feeling bad for someone, but it is feeling bad with someone, kind of like the difference between sympathy and empathy. And when we have compassion on one another, we listen, we care, we don't try to give a bunch of advice. You know, we as believers, we have a tendency to give all kinds of advice. So we want to be good listeners. Remember, remember, uh, Larry, the Job's friends, uh, the best thing they ever did for the brother was just sit there in silence. And we often call that the ministry of presence, where we're just there with you and to be an encouragement and a strength to you. I, I think the biggest thing here before we head out is that compassion is intentional. And so if you begin to pray about being compassionate and caring and empathetic with others, God, by his Holy Spirit, remember one of the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. God, by his Spirit dwelling in you, will use you in great ways to come alongside men and women to encourage them in the Lord. That's very helpful. Thanks. You can hear these radio programs on our website anytime of the day or night at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Another way to grow on the go is by downloading our app. Search for Ed Taylor. 
And we have a couple of podcasts as well. You can listen to Abounding Grace and Lead to Serve wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, By the way, that's Lead, the number two, Serve. In it, Pastor Ed discusses the value of servant leadership. Today, we want to tell you about Pastor Ed's book, God's Help for the Troubled Heart. I don't have to convince you that people are suffering in large measure all around us. And maybe that someone is you. With a war going on, rising inflation, gas prices through the roof, and a virus that doesn't seem to go away, many are anxious and greatly troubled. Well, God wants to meet you right where you're at. And this book will remind you that Jesus will bring you through your trial, and you're not alone. Request a copy of God's Help for the Troubled Heart today. Maybe order an extra one, too, and give it to a friend. We'll send it to you for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Call 877-30-GRACE. You can also order it at calvaryco.store on the web. And please remember that your gifts help to make this program possible. We look to the Lord to provide for us. If He's leading you to take an active role in the ministry through either a one-time gift or ongoing support, please visit us online, aboundinggraceradio.com, or call 877-30-GRACE. Well, that's going to do it for today. Come back tomorrow when Pastor Ed Taylor will again open the Gospel of John in search of abounding grace. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.